a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Jesus does not lie. And he told me, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He told me, this is my blood shed for you. He told me, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And I've heard the Lord's voice in the absolution forgiven. He's, he's told me that he, uh, that he loves the world, that he died for the world, that he shed his blood to save me and forgive me. He said it, and he doesn't lie. Those sins which we're supposed to be conquering have been conquered, not by our striving to overcome them, but have they been conquered by the death of Jesus. Those sins, even those pet sins that we're supposed to overcome, even the, the sins that we keep coming back to, those have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and now uh, sanctification is, is putting to death the old, the old Adam, the old flesh, by confessing our sins. I wasn't paying attention to what you just said. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading Facebook statuses. The alternate sound to an air raid siren. This is Table Talk Radio. Uh, today's program includes Mythbusters. Uh, it's a little silly game that we play uh, to analyze whether teachings, doctrines, uh, etc., are consistent with that of Holy Scripture. And the myth on the table today, by the way, is Christian perfectionism. Ooh. So gather around all your Nazarene friends. <laughs> uh, and then also, which ladder uh, is the game that we play uh, to, to discern whether... So gather around all your other friends. <laughs> <laughs> all your human friends. Although they have a sinful flesh. <laughs> Um, but that is uh, not before we do some theological buzzwords and some emails. So, my theological buzzword for you, Pastor Wolf Mueller, is Eucharist. Oh, yeah, nice. Uh, Eucharist is a uh, one of the words that we have for the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, um, things like that. <laughs> yeah, Supper, it's a Greek Holy word for, th- for Thanksgiving. So he, he took the bread and gave thanks. He eucharistized, <laughs> eucharistoed. <Yeah. laughs> Put an English <laughs> suffix on a Greek word. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so that's why that's called the Eucharist. Right. Like our Catholic friends normally use that because they don't like to say the propitiatory, unbloody sacrifice of the Mass. <laughs> right now, we should say that uh, the uh, Eucharist is not the pre- preferred word uh, in Lutheranism. It's not wrong uh, because I mean, we certainly uh, we can certainly. We, we ha- do we have, give thanks. We certainly give thanks. That's true. But Jesus gives his body and blood. That's, that's right. a better and, and gift. That, and that's the the whole point of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus did not institute the Lord's Supper so that we might give thanks, though we do do that. He instituted the Lord's Supper so that uh, we may have the forgiveness of sins in his very body and blood in, uh, with and under the bread and wine. Uh, so... Uh, you know, it's it just putting uh, putting an emphasis where uh, you know it's not theologically there. Nothing wrong with using it, but uh, yeah, like you said, you'll hear your your Catholic friends uh, use the word Eucharist uh, much more than uh, any of the other. So, uh, when your terms. Catholic buddy says, "I'm going to go to Eucharist," you mean, "Oh, the unblo- unbloody propitiatory sacrifice of the Mass," and they say, "Oh, yeah, that's what I meant." <laughs> All right, that's my theological buzzword for you. My buzzword for you is Pelagianism. Pelagius taught. Man's nature is not deprived, 
since Adam's fall, but on the contrary, is still in its original state, a state of innocence, uh, sorry, indifference morally, without virtue or vice, and capable of both. And it depends solely on the will of the individual to develop the moral germs of his nature. I don't know what moral germs are. <laughs> Beginnings, maybe. Of his nature to be saved. I'm reading this definition, by the way, out of the Concordia Cyclopedia, so it's 1911 or something. 1927. Wow. You can quote this freely. It's in the public domain. Planning <laughs> on it. Uh, published by CPH, by the way. I love CPH. Uh, of course, an irresistible grace and absolute predestination did not fit into the system of Pelagia, uh, Pla uh, Pelagius. On the other hand, real grace, according to Pelagius, was not needed to save man, and salvation by Christ was rather a su superfluous exertion on the part of God. Hmm. The very essence of the Christian religion was destroyed by this system, and naturalism substituted, though probably the author was not aware of the fact. Now, semi-Pelagian is over here. While Pelagians held that the power of natural man for good, free will, is not at all impaired, the semi-Pelagians held that free will was only partially impaired, needing the assistance of grace, salvation th thus depending on grace and the right use of natural powers, free will. That's Pelagianism well, and semi-Pelagianism. I'll give you uh, points for either one. Okay. I'm glad that's in history and doesn't creep up today. No, no. No semi-Pelagianism around at all. <laughs> right? Decision time? Decision magazine? <laughs> right, Our, revivalists? Let's see what Right, emails. all of those with you that have the worldview, uh, which is Jesus is my homecoming date? Oh, man, you remember that from last week? That's oh, amazing. amazing. Usually you don't remember things from week to week. I'm going to be crazy after we record these four shows today. Shh, that's a, that's a Table Talk Radio secret. You can't let the secret out. We got an email here, but it was sent to the wrong address. Look, it says, Dear Wonderful Theologians. Oh, well. Should we forward that to issues, etc., or what? Yeah, let's send it on. But God whispers. <laughs> There's one main question which naturally leads to many thousands more. I want to get your ideas about volunteerism. This is from Ross, by the way. Uh, the, the idea of having mission camps that are for volunteers to come to an area devastated by a natural disaster. Helping people while at the same time being a destination for tourism. Uh, let's skip it down here a little bit. It does many great works, which is nice. I am for being nice, by the way. Hold on, let me write that down. Yeah. Pastor Wolf Miller is for. For. I am for being, being nice. I am nice not against being nice. Now. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're noting the change in my tone? <laughs> but I'm kind of worried, Russ continues, about the idea of a mission camp, which is kind of sketchy on Jesus' mission thing. I could be wrong, because part of the organization does community work and offers an opportunity for volunteers to come in contact with many people who need to hear the word. But this faith-based group is on a church campus, which has a church membership of four or five people. And other churches in the area are not receiving any members necessarily from the work of this group. So... I wonder how this could be when you have hundreds of volunteers coming to an area reaching the community. Uh, there should be a mission here, but uh, should, there should be results or something. I believe that if the church building with this volunteerism thing was used properly, they could grow their congregation and they make the volunteers more productive by working with them. Then we could have a model for other areas. Finally, should I start a volunteerism group in these other places devastated by... Uh, natural disasters and would you like to be the chief executive officer 
Pastor Wolf Newman. <laughs> okay, I've never heard of volunteerism before. Let me see if I if I got a handle on it. Is this where they uh, so so there's a an area that's stricken by disaster like uh, Joplin, Missouri, for example, is a you know, tornado uh, hit Joplin. Pretty pretty serious stuff. Yep. And so you get a group together and you go you go help. But while you're there, you're also kind of seeing the tourism sites. Uh, is that is that, is that uh, basically what's going on? Well, yeah. Or you could not see the tourism sites. But the idea is you travel to help. And you while you're there, you do kind of missionary work. Now I remember back in the old days. So is his critique of doing just that, or is it that and the vacation part of well, it. Well, the question is, is this good? I, I, I remember back uh, when you had a ton of friends, for example, at Campus Crusade and this sort of thing. And they, there's this whole, there's a, in, in, a huge industry, which is Christian travel. Uh, so if you're interested in going on our Steps of St. Paul tour, October 31st, 2013, give me an email. But this is different than that because this is a travel under the guise of missionary work. So you go to a place, you stay for a while, uh, and there's something. There is something nice about it because you you're living with the people in the area. You're not there as a tourist. You, you're there to actually kind of do something. But the problem is you run into all sorts of uh, theological issues where you have people that are not trained to be pastors or missionaries, thinking that they are pastors and missionaries. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to go to a place to help, that's good. Uh, you, we have the si- very serious question of, is it helpful for a bunch of strangers to come into places devastated by disaster and try to help? Uh, and, it's, and it's a question. It could be one way or the other. Uh, it could be helpful for a bunch of people to head to a disaster area. It could, be, it could make things worse when there's a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing kind of mulling around mm-hmm. these disaster areas. But if you just want to go and help someone, uh, it would be good if you could use your vocation to do it. For example, if you're a law enforcement person and they need more law enforcement, if you're a firefighter and they need help to go and fight a fire, if you're a construction worker and they need people to come and help build, um, if you're a preacher and they need people to come and preach. But we want to stick to our vocation here and not, uh, and, not to, and not go off from it because when we start doing things that are outside of our vocation, it makes things... It really makes things worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen this before, and uh, I, I agree with everything you just said um, for once. But uh, I I see it kind of both ways because because you you have these uh, you know groups that they'll they'll you know go around and, and ask people to, to donate money for their for their trip, and so you know you you give them you know here's a five hundred dollars for you to to go on this trip uh, to wherever you're going. And uh, they they go to help or to do what they can, but then there's there's this kind of tourism thing is is added on to it, and so I have to wonder, well, was the money I was giving you was that for your your trip to go help others, or is that for you to go to the beach and and hang out? Yeah. At the same time, though, I don't necessarily see uh, a huge problem with you know if you're going to go try and help your neighbor to spend a day you know re- relaxing, you know, I mean. It, I prefer to say chillaxing. Okay. I think th- th- that's right. But th- it's a, And this is a kind of a tricky question. I mean, you take a group down to Mexico, you build a house. If you took all the money that it took to bring your group there and do all this sort of stuff and just sent it to a carpenter in Mexico, you could probably build ten houses. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, but there is an advantage of taking people to see things like this. But we ought to be able to say it honestly. Hey, look, we're going to go and look at how poor people are uh, down there on the, in the slums in, in Mexico, and you are going to appreciate the things we have. Let's just be be honest about what it is. Right, we'll be right back. Check out the hook while the DJ revolves it. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you pulled out the classics today. 
Hey, Vanilla Ice Here we sit. Phones. We can do no other. <laughs> Table Talk Radio. That don't kill me can only make me stronger. I need you to hurry up now. Cause I can't wait much longer. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Mythbusters coming right up. I have one more word on this volunteerism, and it uh, sort of just reiterates what uh, you said in the first segment of the program. Uh, and that, that is when uh, a, a group of, of students from the seminary, uh, sponsored by LCMS Road Relief and Human Care, were able to make a trip to Madagascar. Now, the, the purpose of our trip was to observe what how the, the Lutheran Church of Madagascar uh, uh, attended to the needs of of people in in that country, um, uh, Madagascar. The Lutheran Church is the largest church body in Madagascar, and so it was really neat to see the the, the Lutheran Church uh, taking the lead on you know building hospitals, building orphanages, building you know blind schools and deaf schools, and and uh, we even went to a leper colony. So this was really neat. Uh, but it, it's interesting when you know I come back and and people ask, you know, oh, well, did you go there for a missions trip? And I always kind of, you know, fumble around with that. Like, well, no, uh, because as as you said, Pastor, there's, in a sense, uh, I guess two ways we can we can view this word missions, in the wide sense and the narrow sense. And really, the the narrow sense is the way that we should reserve the use of the word missions, and that is the the mission um, of the church. Uh, the reason our Lord set the church here on earth was to uh, bestow the forgiveness of sins by word and sacrament. So if you're doing some sort of sort of activity um, that uh, is, is not directly related to word word and sacrament, then I don't know that we can rightly call it you know missions. Yeah, that's right. I think in the narrow sense, especially we we can love our neighbor, and everyone has that vocation to love sure, our neighbor yeah. to preach the word. That's the vocation of the office of the ministry. Uh, there is you. Look, this is there, there's something just plain old normal about the fact that you learn something when you travel. I mean, you go, uh, uh, I, I like it when people say, I want to go see something new. And that's good. I mean, I remember growing up, my dad said, hey, you can learn more than, uh, you can learn about two weeks uh, overseas, you learn as much as you do in a year of, of study. And I think that's true. And so I've had a chance to travel a little bit. And it's nice when I, you know, when we were talking about uh um, something in the life of Jesus uh, the other day, and I can picture in my mind the streets of Jerusalem from when we were there. Or you asked me about the diet of the worms uh, in the last show, and I can picture what worms looked like in the square there and when the place where the building was. It's torn down now. So you can... Um, this is really quite nice uh, to be able to travel, but um, when you put it under the guise of missions so that other people will finance it for you... Using the mic stand as an armrest. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it, then, uh, then that just becomes a little bit deceptive. You say, hey, we're going to go over here and, and try to help the people, and we're going to see something new and, uh, and, uh, and look at how some other people in the world live. That's all right. Yeah. No. All right. Uh, Mythbusters. Yeah, got all a right. myth for you. So uh, here we're going to uh, talk about a, a myth, a uh, theological claim, a doctrinal claim. And we're going to analyze it through uh, an understanding of Holy Scripture and, and right theology, uh, whether or not this myth is is confirmed, plausible, or busted. So the myth we have is uh, Christian perfection. This is the language used by uh, our old pal John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church. So this is, by the way, what the Methodists believed when they still believed things. <laughs> 
Then when the Methodists stopped believing anything, then the Nazarene says, well, someone ought to believe this thing. So they started believing it here. So we got a little Nazarene business, too. But first I'll give you a little bit from uh, On Christian Perfection by John Wesley. To whom do you mean by the one that is perfect? We mean one in whom is the mind which was in Christ, who was so, uh, and who so walketh as Christ also walked. A man that hath clean hands and a pure heart, or that is cleansed from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. One in whom is no occasion of stumbling, and who accordingly does not commit sin. To, to declare this a little more particularly, we understand by that scriptural expression a perfect man, one in whom God has fulfilled his faithful word. From all your filthiness and from all your idols I will cleanse you, I will also save you from all your uncleannesses. We understand hereby one whom God hath sanctified throughout in body, soul, and spirit, one who walketh in the light as he is in the light, and whom is no darkness at all, the blood of Jesus Christ having cleansed him from all sin. This man can now test... You want to stop there for a little bit? You well, I, I do uh, just uh, a comment on how you started. It is, it, it is funny because... Um, you know, most Methodists that you talk to uh, have no awareness of, of their what what uh, distinguishes their theology from any other church body. However, um, this what you're describing is really the uh, the theology behind most of American evangelicalism today. Uh, that you're going to find that uh, look, the Christian life is about this perfectionism that, uh, or at least a striving towards that. Uh, that um, they they might be okay. You, you you can't ever really be perfect, which is isn't what Wesley would say. But they might say, you know, okay, you can't be perfect, but you should at least try to be perfect. And you should get as close as you can. That's the whole point of of being a Christian. You'll hear. Uh, so this is kind of the driving theology in in most. Uh, American evangelicalism. In regard to sanctification, for sure. You, we should uh, write a recipe for evangelicalism. <laughs> so you would take, you would start with Methodism. Okay. You write, jot this down. You start one with cup a... One cup Methodism. One cup Methodism. No, uh, four cups Methodism. Oh. Four cups Methodism. And then you add, uh, and then, um, let's see, what would you do? <laughs> you, add, uh, uh, you add two tablespoons of revivalism. A dash of Pelagianism. <laughs> That's your buzzword. Hey, it is? I mean, my buzzword. Oh. Your buzzword that you gave to me to, so I could say Pelagianism on the air. What's what's my buzzword? <laughs> Does that count? No. <laughs> uh, you put in... Uh, uh, you put Eucharist. in a half. Oh, Eucharist. You put in a half cup of indifference. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you put it in the Holy Spirit blender... Okay. You blend for 400 years, <laughs> and you chill with ice. That, what do we have? So we have a cup of Methodism. Uh, no, four cup Methodism. Four cups Methodism. Two tablespoons revivalism. Yep. Uh, a dash of Pelagianism. Yep. Uh, half cup, that's my buzzword, 500 points. Half <laughs> cup of indifference. Yep. In the Holy Spirit blender for 400 years and chill with ice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think that's about right. What else do you need in there? So you got uh, so revivalism, oh, mysticism. Well, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit blender. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I shouldn't say the Holy Spirit blender. I should say uh, the charis- the charismatic blender. Ah, there it is. The charismatic blender. Let the charismatics <laughs> grind it all up. 
And that's what that's evangelicalism. I mean, uh, look, you, if you take out the, if you don't add the indifference, then you have fundamentalism. <laughs> nice. So that's the key. All right. I mean, so so what I'm saying is that the base ingredient of evangelicalism is Methodism. I mean, Methodism was huge in the United States. Now, the Methodist Church now is nothing like the Methodist that used to be. I mean, anyone that believes anything leaves the Methodist Church. Like anyone who gets better leaves the hospital. <laughs> Poor Methodists don't even. I mean, they. I mean, there's this. There's this movement. They, they don't even have four or five blogs for. for no, there's this. There's this movement. This confessional Methodist movement. These guys that are trying to revive all the classic Methodist stuff. And they, like, there is in every major church. So there's traditionalist Episcopalians. There's traditionalist. Uh, uh, I mean, there's guys like us, traditionalist Lutherans. There's traditionalist uh, Presbyterians. Did I say that already? There's traditionalist. Um, uh, well. All the major denominations have all these traditionalists, and there's so there's Methodist traditionalists, uh, and they're trying like crazy to to say, hey, uh, to be a Methodist actually means something, and I don't think anyone believes them. They're like, no, <laughs> not really. I mean, think of it: you got Anglicanism, and then you revive that, and you have Methodism, and then you revive that, and you have revivalism, and then you revive that, and you have the Nazarene Church. It's like, it's how many revisions can thing go through? It's like the old style copy machines. I mean, uh, eventually you just have a blur. All right. Anyhow, this man, the perfect man, this is continuing now with Wesley. This was written, by the way, in 1777. Can now testify to all mankind, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He is holy as God who called him is holy, both in heart and in all manner of conversation. He loves the Lord God, his God with all his heart and serves him with all his strength. He loves his neighbor, every man, as himself, yea, as Christ loved us. Uh, them, in particular, that despitefully use him and persecute him, because they know not the Son, neither the Father. Indeed, his soul is all love, filled with bowels of mercy, kindness, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, and his life agreeth thereto, full of the work of faith, the patience of hope, the labor of love. And whatsoever he doth, either in word or in deed, he doth it all in the name, in the love and power of the Lord Jesus. In a word, he doeth the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven. Mm. This is the perfect man all to right. be sanctified throughout. Even to have here's one more paragraph to have his to have a heart so all flaming with the love of God, to use Archbishop Usher's words as continually to offer up every thought, word, and work as a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ. In every thought of our heart, in every word of our tongues, in every work of our hands, to show forth his praise who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that both we and all who seek the Lord Jesus in sincerity may just thus be made perfect in one. All right, so we are going to analyze. You heard the, the myth on the table. Uh, Christian perfectionism uh, is articulated by John Wesley. We're going to run that through uh, the Table Talk Radio Mythbusters examination uh, of Holy Scripture, and we'll be right back after this commercial break to analyze whether that is confirmed, plausible, or busted. Now listen what I say, oh. Hey! 
You really are listening to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Not really. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio Mythbusters. We just heard from John Wesley. The song should be Hit the Road, John. Don't you <laughs> should got no. Big John. Like that now, I remember how this goes. I, I remember being told, look, the Bible says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Uh, ergo, uh, we have both the capacity and the ability to be perfect. This is the thing that the... Com- this. I mean, this... Here's the logic. If God commands it, we must be able to do it. Because, after all, why would God command us to do something that we can't do? Ooh, I know. Oh, I know. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, to show us our sinfulness. Oh, so co- it's, oh it's, come on. That's a meanie pants God. It's, it's a bit like, uh, I mean, show, showing you who you really are. So like when Pastor Wolfmiller says, I can beat that Wilkin and Iron Preacher, <laughs> I just simply say, all right, let's do it. Let's see it. No, no, no. I don't want to prove it. <laughs> Ooh, Wilkin. How's that going? Getting him elected into uh, church? Oh office? yeah, have every uh, we got at least what? All our listeners are on board here. Well, Problem is, we so we have we have what? We have twelve listeners because your family has like seven people in it. My family, <laughs> and then we got the whole of Canada listens. So we got like three Canadian listeners. <laughs> the problem is, I don't. The Canadians can't vote. Oh. In synodical elections, can you? You you Canadians need to uh, get to kind Transfer of dual citizenship, yeah. so you can vote for Wilkin to be. What did we want him to be? Secretly join an treasurer. LCMS church. We want Wilkin for treasurer, uh, or or I now, think I think we should. Uh, what does Ray Hartwig do now? Secretary. Uh, so Wilkin has to spend all his time translating bylaws. <laughs> I was thinking. I guess the Wilkin position doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. Does it? Uh, this. Uh, uh, Board for Communications? Could could he? Uh, no, no, that's could, all. It's it, under CPH. Oh. Maybe he could he could work with Paul McCain. Yeah, that. Here's what the Nazarene Church says in their constitution: We believe that entire sanctification uh, is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin or depravity and brought into a state of entire devotion to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. It's wrought by the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit and comprehends in one experience cleansing of the heart from sin and abiding indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering the believer for life and, ser- and service. So, remember how we have our Lutheran anthropology game Mm-mm. on the list of terrible games? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, this would be this thing that where after now you're a Christian, you are, your will not only is set free, but is made, is made perfect. Yeesh. All right, let me throw this at you and, uh, and see how you'd respond. All right. uh, of course, man doesn't have the capability to be perfect, but uh, it's a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in him. Hey, wait a minute. We didn't finish talking about what you were talking about before, which is the whole, if God can command it. Oh, yeah, you did talk about how the Lord shows us our sin. And that is what the Bible says the law does. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So when God gives us his law, it's not for the purpose. I mean, he is telling us what to do, but it's for the chief purpose of showing us our own inability to do that there thing. 
So, I mean, this was the uh, Luther kind of takes us on with Erasmus because Erasmus, like everyone else in the world, had the idea that if God commands it, you must be able to do it. So the command implies the ability. But the but Luther shows from the Scripture, especially from St. Paul, that no, that is not true. Now, Evan then adds the second thing. Well, what about with God? Can't Doesn't God empower you to do good works? Well, sure, but the point is we are not yet stripped of the sinful flesh. So while the new man can do nothing but uh, uh, serve God, Christian perfection, I guess, the old man can do nothing but uh, um, uh, despise God and his gifts. Uh, that, that, that's, all, uh, that's all the old man can do. Uh, so we have the text for that. Uh, I do, if I do what I will not to do, this is Romans seven twenty. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring, that means fighting, not dancing, warring (laughs) against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then the doxa, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Yeah, so, busted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's pretty busted. Busted. All right, well, let's move on to Witch Ladder. Now, Witch Ladder is this game that we get from the uh, book from Adolf Caberly. In fact, you probably hey, have it on your desk still. I probably do, it's since from our th- four weeks ago. <laughs> uh, Witch Ladder uh, consists of these three ladders. Now, when we were, look at this book's called The Quest for Holiness. That sounds exciting. Yeah. The and then, Quest. And then you read it, and you're like, oh, this is just... The you know, Quest for, to understand this book. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if uh, uh, if let's see wh- when did Adolf Kaberly reign? He was uh, <laughs> reign <laughs> early 1900s. Was that? Or am I placing him? No, I think that's too late. But I don't know. But anyway, I think it'd be great if uh, John Wesley could have read Adolf Kaberly's book here. Um, but uh, in in his book, The Quest for Holiness, Adolf Kaberly talks about. Uh, man's failed attempts to reach God, that that man is constantly trying to justify himself before God. And you see this all the time. Um, you know, you walk up to someone and you, you start talking to them a little bit about maybe like the Ten Commandments, and uh, immediately you start hearing people saying, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I'm I'm above the curve. I'm better than most people. I'm no Adolf Hitler. Uh, and so you're always seeing people trying to self-justify themselves before God. Now, Adolf Kaberly points out that, that people do this in three different ways. I have the quote here. Read him. The sanctification of conduct by the strengthening of the will. The sanctification of the emotions by a strenuous training of the soul. The sanctification of thought by a deepening of the understanding. Moralism, mysticism, speculation, these are the three ladders on which men continually seek to climb up to God with a persistent purpose that it seems nothing can check a storming of heaven that is just as pathetic in its unceasing efforts as it is in its final futility. Ah, well said. Hey, thank you. Can I have said it better <laughs> myself? Uh, and so the point of this game, which ladder, uh, is to discern whether uh, the item in question uh, is climbing the ladder of moralism, that is, the uh, ladder of the will is, is one 
uh, trying to be good enough uh, to change their actions, to change their behavior, uh, to justify themselves before God? Or are they speaking about mysticism, that is, uh, the emotions, or as, as uh, uh, Caberly put it, the strengthening of the soul, uh, that, that uh, through this uh, mysticism con- connection with the divine, that uh, one is, is putting himself uh, with God, or by rationalism, by, by knowing enough, by, by being smart enough to be able to explain everything. Um, is this uh, how one is justifying before God? So these are the, uh, the, the three ladders, and I forgot to pull up the clips, so just talk about something a little bit. Uh, let's see here. I want, you want another Caberly quote? I, I, we should do it here. Uh, oh, I always have all these mysticism things doing. Let's read something about um, the mind. Yes. Actually, I got a clip. The devotion of thought. I'll read at least one. The devotion of thought, this form of piety has been fittingly called, compared with the ecstatic, sentimental, and emotional uh, beatitude of other forms of mysticism, we here breathe a clearer, cleaner atmosphere. The mood has become more sober and academic. That's the talking about the mind. You know, oh, what's right. that one called? Rationalism. All right, let's have a quote. I'm ready now. All right. Uh, this You're one, ready. This one's in the form of a song. Here it is. Mysticism. <laughs> <laughs> I can sniff this stuff out. He actually sings. Okay. I'll try to stay awake first. About uh, 30 seconds before the break. Uh, initial comments, Pastor Wolf Mueller. I'm just trying to figure this one out. <laughs> I just. That's kind of stumping me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Divine romance? What worldview is this? Jesus is my homecoming date. <laughs> A worldview which I am against, by the way. Good to be clear. This the I, I in your okay. Your beauty is all I see. I mean, really. In your presence, I am fully satisfied. This is the. I mean, the the essential Christian mysticism is that we have this, is that we have this essential internal immediate unity with the divine essence, intimate, internal, unmediated unity, and this song is just that in its fullness. I mean, just perfect mysticism. That it is. Well, we will continue playing Witch Ladder on the other side of this break. Uh, Remember, the three ladders, moralism, mysticism, and rationalism. 
This game is for you to play at home. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. Table Talk Radio, where theology meets immaturity. You're listening to Table Talk Radio and Which Ladder. If you would like to disagree on Pastor's assessment of divine romance, you can send us an email at questions at tabletalkradio.org or give us a call 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. I think that we're going to have to change the phone number because you being a man, I think it's properly so low. Not Sola would be oh. the feminine. Unless, oh, well, that's I guess, true. If you're looking for the single woman. Your theory then. If you're looking for the single woman to call, Sola <laughs> is right. If you are Sola, <laughs> call our number, Sola. I have something more to say well, about this. What was our old number? 866 851 552. That number still works. 866 851 5523 is our number. <laughs> that spells 1888 date me. Now, uh, I have something further to say about this song. I want you to memorize these lines because when you get a date finally, you can use these lines of the song. You could say, the richness of your beauty is all I see. (laughs) I thought of a new game when we were doing this. I am fully satisfied in your presence. (laughs) We need to have, um, so this would be, uh, you know, we need a guest for this game. But we'd have you and then a guest with buzzers. Yeah. And then uh, we'll start playing a song. And the first one to buzz in gets to answer, and then you say, "Is this a song to a loved one or God?" Oh yeah, that's right. But see, there's a there's a uh, a speed aspect to this. Yep, so yep. the first person to answer gets to answer. But mm-hmm, you know, the more mm-hmm. you listen to the song, the more information you'd have. Yeah, you like that idea? Eh. Both, eh. <laughs> both. <laughs> I think uh, so. These are we could use. We could have a thing that would be something like praise song pickup lines. <laughs> <laughs> How did the first line go? The fullness of your face fills my heart. <laughs> the richness of your beauty is all I see. Hearts are, if you would say those, hearts would melt around the world, Evan. You know, I, uh, I have to admit, I found this song In when Canada. I was looking for uh, bumper music, and I was looking for something dealing with uh, you know, mysticism, so I, I, you know, I just kind of did an Amazon search for the word divine. And this song came up, Divine Romance, and I thought, wow, this would be, uh, this would be hilarious. And I realized it was a Christian song. Hmm. All right, uh, here's the next clip for Which Ladder? Yeah, I didn't know that. <coughs> How is it a lucky number? 13 is the age when... Um, that's why boys get bar mitzvah at the age of 13, by the way. It's the age when the soul gets completely, like, sort of solid solidified in your body when you come kind of into your old it's your one of those Kabbalah things uh huh yeah it is so you've been doing some yeah. spiritual searching what is this yeah this is Mont- uh, mm-hmm. Madonna did you have a party for like a Kabbalah party in New York I saw that there was like an invitation of some sort in you in New York no yeah. I had a um, I had a cocktail party 
a Kabbalah cocktail party. Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Sorry. Yeah. Is this Imus oh, interviewing? Well, Kabbalah here. It's, it's a guy really trying to pretend guess. like he's Imus, um, but he doesn't talk as cool. How did you become involved in this? Um, a girlfriend of mine go, used to was going all the time and um, to these classes. They're classes. It's a, the Kabbalah mm-hmm. Learning Center, and basically the Kabbalah is the mystical interpretation of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And she kept telling me about this really charismatic um, rabbi named Eitan who said, told these great stories. I think she meant to say Old Testament, right? She kept going on and on about Testament. it. And, yeah. You know, and I said, listen, I'm, Susan, I'm not even Jewish. Why are you telling me these things? You know, and she's like, you don't have to be Jewish. Just come and just, you know, study. You don't have to be Jewish to be Kabbalistic. Like you like it. If you don't, leave. No. So I did. Hmm. And um, this is taking some Kabbalah classes. Really? That's it's so really great. It's really great. And what have you gotten out of it? I've gotten out of it. Listen, I couldn't get into it on a, you know, no, a two-second sort of glib interview, but I mean... She should take training from us. I mean, us. the thing about the Kabbalah <laughs> is that, that there's similarities in the Kabbalah. Is, 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 is in, um, the Kabbalah has similarities with, say, Buddhism. Mm-hmm. The, the whole no. idea of cause and effect. No. And for every action, there's a reaction. And... Um, Newtonian Buddhism. You absolutely are the master of your destiny, and that uh, that you have to take responsibility for the chaos in your life. You uh-huh. can't go around saying, "Oh, this happened to Did me. You hear that? This happened to me. I'm a victim, and this happened to me." It's like you you pull in what you put out, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you want to have goodness in your life, then you have to give it. Uh-huh. This All is, right. You this are is... what you eat, worldview. <laughs> uh, this is an interview with Madonna. Garbage. Madonna. That's not what it is. Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, worldview. And Kurt Loder oh. in 1999. All right. Uh, Kurt Loder's like an Imus wannabe. Did you hear that? <laughs> He's trying to act indifferent. Do you ever listen to Imus? Um, I remember him talking about a basketball team. I remember. I remember. I remember when I was uh, making jewelry. I'd have to wake up at like four in the morning when I was at seminary, and I'd go down to the basement, and the only thing on was Imus. And he has this great way of interviewing people because he acts like he totally doesn't care. And it's, I think, authentic. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a new worldview, which is the karma worldview, which is garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> so where does our list of that worldview fit into the which ladder game? Uh, well, Gnosticism, which is the uh, tick of religious syncretism. You know the tick? Uh, like it sucks your blood. What's the thing oh, called? The yeah. parasite. That's what I meant to say. The leech. Gnosticism just finds a, 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 a religion, and then it just le- it just <laughs> it latches on and sucks the blood out of it. That's what that's that's the Gnostic style. It's like the vampire of religions. It's like the twilight. It's like the and so Evan, you I'm going to give you I'm a Wolf the Mystic Hunter. You could be Buffy the. Gnostic slave. <laughs> That's okay. So now the thing. No, with, really. It's and okay. we, we say it with Gnosticism, which we pronounce here on Table Talk Radio, Gnosticism, because you pronounce it that way. Because we are against. We do not want to. What is the thing where you have? Where you're against bias someone? Against yeah, we don't uh, have biased against any letters. We want to let each letter have its own prejudice. Sound. Prejudice. So we are. Uh, gnosticism, the problem is, it presents itself. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. So it, it, you think, oh, Gnosticism, which Kabbalah is, this, is a, just a Jewish Old Testament uh, Gnosticism. And it presents itself as a, as a rationalism. I mean, after all, Gnosis, that has to be the ladder of the mind. Aha, they've tricked you. Because it's really mysticism. The point is, it's hidden knowledge. And you have to come to this knowledge... 
through spiritual illumination. See? Mm. So it is mysticism parading around as rationalism. That's what Gnosticism is, and that's well, what Kabbalah is. And moralism, too. I mean, that, that's the idea behind karma, that you would uh, do good things so that good things will be, will, will be returned to you. Garbage so. in, garbage out. I'm harnessing the energy of the universe. All right, one final clip for which ladder? After we had our third baby, the doctor said no more, and I was okay with that because we had three children, and the oldest had cerebral palsy. He's a handful. Is this Sarah so Palin? A couple of years later, we really felt like we <laughs> needed to so add one more, and no, so not. we adopted a little boy with Down syndrome. His name is Derek. So now we have four kids, two little girls and two boys who both have mental disabilities. When you're the mom of a special needs child, that's one of the first things that you learn goes right out the window. You do not have control. The sooner you can learn that, I guess I'm still working on it, the easier it is. This is my job and I really take it seriously and I always wanted to be a mom and you know I didn't necessarily imagine that my family would look the way it does but it's really very rewarding. It's fun to be with the community that you, that understands you, that you know the other moms will talk about how their kid hit the teacher today. You look so puzzled. So been there. So done that. So it's it's really fun. There's something about being at Special Olympics. I decided that you're surrounded by all those special spirits, and there's just a spirit of love that you don't find anywhere else. And when you come here, you just feel it, and it's palpable. And I just feel like my boy's mission in life is to bring love to the world. And it's really it's an exciting thing to be a mom for that. And it's hard. It's really hard, but there are days where they pay off and when they cross that finish line with a big grin on their face and everybody's cheering for them because they love them and they want the best for them and you just get this feeling of, I just can't believe that I'm blessed enough to be a part of this. Their whole purpose here on this earth is to teach the rest of us compassion and we are such a lucky family. I'm Rochelle. I'm a redhead. I'm a Texan. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. <laughs> and I'm a Mormon. All right, with uh, about a minute here, uh, which ladder? Oh, man. Well, so, a minute. I don't know. I mean, Mormonism is a, is a nice cocktail of all three false ladders. So <laughs> there's a little mysticism in Mormonism. There's a, a lot of moralism in there. there. Maybe there's not much rationalism. Uh, <laughs> but I, the Special Olympics thing, you know, I, there's very when when you meet someone with special needs, especially um, uh, someone who's handicapped, and you do you see there is this kind of um, this kind of delightful innocence there, uh, to where there's this ability to simply embrace the world without all of this kind of skeptical ridiculousness, and there's something that's really quite wonderful about that and uh, and refreshing, and we we always and in, in my own family too you you uh, when you when you know someone you think this is going to be a huge massive challenge uh, but then you end up thanking God for the gifts that every person brings which is why by the way that we should have we should get rid of these ridiculous tests on babies in the womb to see if they're going to have um, uh, disabilities because uh, uh, the Lord uh, works marvelous gifts through that but uh, the, the whole idea of Mormonism uh, to, to bring uh, love into the world it's reducing Christianity which is uh, to preach faith uh, and to give the forgiveness of sins that comes from Jesus, it's reducing it down to a matter of good works. And that's moralism. Right. And then you do, as you said, uh, have a lot of uh, mysticism mentioned there, this uh, 
you know, by doing so, it's it's a moralism that leads to mysticism by doing these great things, and those things are great for her kids, no, no doubt about that. Um, but by doing the good things, it leads to a, a, a sense of love, spirit, you know, with all these things that she listed off. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, so yeah, you do have kind of a, a mixing uh, there with with Mormonism, uh, to be sure. So. Uh, and as a uh, marketing ploy too, how about that? You know, we have this uh, video you're watching. Oh, this is you know, give me great warm, right. warm fuzzies. And oh, well, she's a Mormon. Maybe, maybe I should be a Mormon. I could have warm fuzzies all the time. <laughs> well, uh, like it or not, that's it for Table Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points are like all the fuzzy feelings that you get while listening to Apple. You've been listening to <laughs> Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.